Let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer if we could. Our Father, we come before you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, giving you great glory and praise and honor for you so deserve our worship, Lord. And so we desire to do that as we bow low in our hearts and we understand that you are God and that we are not. And Father, I thank you for your scriptures, that they are clear, that they uh, guide our hearts and our minds and our actions. Lord, that you have given us everything that we need from life and godliness in your scriptures. And for that, we indeed are grateful. I pray that this morning we would uh, think rightly about eternity and about the end times. And Lord, that you would guide our minds and our hearts to be congruent with your word. And that you would receive great honor and glory and praise this morning. We pray in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Well, what we want to try and do this morning, since our time is a little short, is take a look at some of the doctrine that we don't believe, so that we can next time start with the doctrine we do believe. So we're going to talk about several things. You remember last week we defined eschatology as the system of doctrines about um, the end times, or it could be death, or it could be heaven. I mean, all these things are contained in a study of eschatology where things come to an end. The current age comes to an end. And we discussed that by looking at this, our purpose in doing some of this is that uh, we can understand rightly the sovereignty of God. We can understand the plan of God and how He's been, since the very creation, working things according to His plan, and that we will gain hope uh, in times of um, disarray, such as we're seeing in our country today, that um, those won't be the things that we focus on, but rather we'll focus on what is God doing during these types of times and the turmoil that we see. And what is the scripture said about as we come closer and closer to the end of the age, what will the result be? What will actually be happening? And we looked at several scripture passages last week to see that this topic was important to Jesus Christ. This topic was important to the apostles as they founded churches. It was important to all of the churches of their time, believing that the coming of Jesus Christ was imminent. Same thing we believe today. And so I want to talk about the way that true believers differ in how they approach this study that we're going to look at. Next week, I'll start by telling you um, what we believe and what our foundation is and some of our basic tenets And some of those are contained in what I'll talk about today. Some of them are not. Some of them are the exact opposite of what some of these, um, uh, I guess, framework of how you approach eschatology is. And I'm not going to try and be exhaustive by any means. I'm going to speak to some core tenets that are held. But realize there are a lot of people who mix a lot of these things, uh, different perspectives of the end times, that they 
take some from what this group believes and they take some from what that group believes and they mix them together to come out with their doctrine. And um, I, I prefer not to do that. I prefer to see what the scriptures say and base everything that we believe on the scriptures. But how you approach the scriptures, how you interpret them is important. And it has influence on what you believe and what you gain from the scriptures. Now, you've probably heard the terms uh, amillennial and postmillennial and premillennial and covenantal and dispensational and all these different terms that are used to speak of beliefs about the end times. So, um, uh, something, just a basic thing to realize is that covenantal is not futuristic. It believes most everything that, has ha- that is going to happen according to the scriptures already has happened. But if you come to um, post-millennial or pre-millennial or dispensational beliefs, those are all futuristic, that much of what is in the scripture is yet to happen. So those, that's a big dividing line between covenantal and dispensational, premillennial, that um, things either have already happened or they're going to happen in the future. Go ahead, David. So uh, covenantal people would not believe there's going to be a millennium? Correct. That's one. Covenantal people do not believe that the term millennium, millennial, refers to a literal thousand-year reign. What they believe is that it means a long time, as opposed to a specific time when Jesus Christ reigns. Let me try and go through some of the the tenets of covenantal, so you'll understand now the people who hold to this theology have their arguments from scripture i promise you you can read their books you can see the way that they divide the scriptures Um, you can see how they approach the scriptures and that's mainly what i want to talk about but because of the way they approach the scriptures certain things rise out of the scriptures from their perspective now many of these people are theologians They're true believers. They will be with you in heaven, in the kingdom of God, without any question. But they just believe differently. Now, this group includes people like Jonathan Edwards. It includes John Calvin. These, These people were covenantal. So some really heavyweights through the history and people who we cling to a lot of the same doctrines they do um, were covenantal. So, but a lot has happened since they were alive, right? We've got 400 more years of history that they didn't have the um, perspective of, but we do. Um, So some of the things that covenantal teachings are is that eschatology is not about changing of anything physical, It's not anything cataclysmic in the cosmos or on the earth or any physical changes to the earth. What eschatology is all about 
is a changing of the covenants from the old covenants of the Old Testament to the new covenant of the New Testament. And it's all spiritual. None of it has anything to do with anything physical. That's one of their core beliefs, is that um, all the things that we see written in the Scriptures about the cosmos, what Jesus Christ preached, um, and that sermon that we looked at last week in Matthew 24 and 25, all the cataclysmic things he talks about, all the catastrophe that we see in the book of Revelation, all of that is allegorical. All of that is spiritual. It doesn't deal with anything that is physical. Okay, so that's clearly a, a different way to think about things. Now, the reason, well, a couple other things. They do believe in the return of Jesus Christ, okay? But it happened in 70 AD when Rome destroyed Jerusalem, when the temple was burned. Um, so they, they believe that Jesus Christ, went from the perspective of the scriptures, remember, most of the scriptures were written before that time, right? Now, when it comes to the book of Revelation, they have to predate it to before 70 AD. I personally believe it was written in the late 80s. But there are different schools of thought on that. Um, and, but they have to predate it because everything that is written there has already happened. So the return of Jesus Christ happened in 70 AD from a covenantal perspective. That was the return of Jesus Christ. And now they believe like we do that um, the day of Pentecost was very significant Okay, we believe that, right? The Holy Spirit was given, and every believer since that time has been filled with the Holy Spirit upon believing. But they believe that that was the demarking change in time because there you go from Old Covenant to New Covenant. Okay, and then followed by the return of Jesus Christ in 70 AD. This is what they wholeheartedly believe, and they hold to it. Now, um, and they have their arguments from Scripture. I would never say that they don't reason from the Scriptures. Okay, they just take a different perspective. And one of the main reasons they have a different perspective, we, we hold to a hermeneutic that is literal, that is grammatical, and that is historical. Meaning, you have to look at what, the scripture says, even from a grammar standpoint and from a literal perspective, to the people to whom it was written. Because it had a meaning, we believe, to the people to whom it was written. It was a message that was to communicate the truths of God to people, specific people groups, throughout history. Okay? Now, some of it is... Um, I would never say it's not just, um, how do you say this? Um, it's not didactic. It's just um, stories. So it's not trying to teach truth so much as these are the doctrines that it's trying to lay out. But some of it is. And so you have to approach it, we believe, from a perspective of trying to get to the intent of the author 
who wrote it to a specific group of people. That's why we hold to um, a historical, grammatical, literal hermeneutic, because that will lead you to what the author intended to write. Now, that is not the way that covenantal people look at the scriptures. Okay? They have what would be described, and, and we believe that there's no priority of the Old Testament versus the New Testament. That every passage has its own meaning to the people to whom it was written with no greater emphasis on the New Testament or the Old Testament. They all are the inspired Word of God. No, no, they work in harmony as opposed to changing one another. Okay, that is not the perspective of those who are covenantal. This is what leads them to their conclusions. First of all, they're not literal, grammatical, historical in their interpretation. But more important than that, I believe, is they give priority to the New Testament. Meaning, if there's an Old Testament scripture that is quoted in the New Testament, then the New Testament can change what was written in the Old Testament. It reinterprets, if you will, the Old Testament. They wholeheartedly believe that and will oppose you that the New Testament has priority over the Old Testament and some of the things that were said in the Old Testament, such as promises given to Israel, are changed in the New Testament to be promises to the church. There's a whole host of them, right? But anytime, if you're talking to a covenantal and you see the word Jew or you see the, the name Israel, to them, that's the church. Because they reinterpret some of the things that were said in the Old Testament, take those promises that were given to Israel, unconditional promises that were stated to Abraham, that were stated to King David, that are written in many of the prophets that talk about promises to Israel, such as the land that was promised to them. None of that in the New Testament applies to Israel. Israel has no significance in the eschatology of a covenantal believer. None. Because it's not Israel who's being spoken of, it's the church. And that's a huge difference from what we believe to what they believe. They believe that the New Testament reinterprets the Old Testament. So many of the things that were said in the Old Testament as you come to New Testament Scripture, they give priority to what the New Testament says and discount what the Old Testament says. We don't do that. We believe that the Old Testament was the Word of God. They do too. That it was written to a specific people and it had a specific meaning. And God intended to say what He said. When He said Israel has unconditional promises, that's what He meant. And it doesn't get changed by the New Testament. But the covenantal believe that the New Testament has priority. So it's a huge, huge change. And it's the reason they come to some of their conclusions that they come to. They have to. <coughs> if you take that approach, then you, 
must come to the same conclusions that they do. Such as, but if you take the approach that we do, a literal, grammatical, historical hermeneutic, you will come to the same conclusions that we come to. So which is right and which is wrong? But they don't take the, the bad parts when God speaks badly of They believe literally that Israel forfeited the promises of God because of their behavior in the Old Testament and that God has replaced them and always did intend to replace them with the church and that all the promises that were given to Israel are defunct for Israel. Some of them apply to the church, some don't. It's, uh, it's not what I hold to because to me it's inconsistent. There are particular passages that in, they start out literal believing, but then they have to change the allegorical because the hermeneutic doesn't work and their theology doesn't work. So you move from literal to allegorical in the, literally in the middle of verses. And I just can't do that. Well, it's too subjective. I mean, if, it, if, it, if we don't read this literally, then your opinion just goes mine and whoever else. Everybody's got but, idea. But realize, there are heavyweight theologians who are covenantal, uh, who know more theology than I do, that have their system worked out, and they all agree and by the way, this is the vast majority of, of Reformed people are covenantal. Okay? So we're, we're a small minority of the Reformed people who are not covenantal. Go ahead, Ed. Of course, we know just because you're a heavyweight theologian doesn't mean that you're right. No, no. And one who calls you a heavyweight tends to be another sinner, not God. <laughs> It's true. But I would say to those, and it all goes back to your hermeneutic, and these people that hold the covenant ideas, uh, two or three, they either have two or three, covenant works, covenant grace, so forth, is because they still have Roman Catholic theology, which has its basis in Augustinianism. Right. Very anti-Semitic and all these things. But I would just say, and I have said, and you, you, and you have to deal with these people as brothers in Christ, and say, did you see the sun come up this morning? <laughs> yes. Did it come up from the west or the east? Well, mm-hmm. east. Okay, then. You've just disproven your theology because four chapters in Jeremiah says if you see these things, if the sun doesn't come up in the east and the stars fall from heaven, then my promises to Israel and Judah so you can't argue it's pre pre-split or no boy. Right. No, I, I it's usually say, well, let's go to lunch. But of course that <laughs> of course that passage about Israel isn't about Israel. It's about the church. Well, that is exactly what they would say. That yeah, I, I I read that just like you do and believe it just like you do, but it is not Israel, it's the church. So uh, you just have to deal with that. You have to understand that. And that's what I want you to understand, is that not so much what the tenets are, but what causes it. And it's a different hermeneutic, and it's a different priority of scriptures. That's what leads to the covenantal beliefs. 
And so underpinning all of that, you have to realize that's their perspective. And um, how do you argue against that? You certainly defend what you believe, right? But I'm not going to get in an argument with any covenantal believer. I'm not. I'll tell him what I believe, but I'm not going to argue with him about which one of us is right. I mean, you have respect, you have kindness, you have gentleness toward all everybody and especially toward believers, and you try and put down persuasive, persuasive arguments. Um, but much is allegorical and much is reinterpreted by the New Testament. That's the one that really drives me, is this reinterpretation. Because then the Old Testament didn't mean anything. It means whatever you really want to change it to believe, um, which I just can't do. David, that's reading things into Scripture. Well, I, I would not disagree with you, but again, they will go to passages such as everyone who is a Jew is not a Jew that Paul writes, right? You have to deal with that. Yeah. You, I mean, you have to deal with it. And what I believe that means is that everyone who's a descendant of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not true believers. And so they're not of the people of God. Now, they would disagree with me, all right? But they would say that we don't believe in types. Well, I do believe in types. Um, Old Testament foreshadowing things that would be in the New Testament, such as... um, Romans chapter 5, Adam is a type of Jesus Christ. Well, how could that be? Well, I think it speaks to the humanity of Jesus Christ, and Adam in his perfect created state was sinless. And so that's a type of Jesus Christ being fully human and sinless. So we do believe in types. They would say we don't believe in types. We do. Um, Israel being a type of the church. Now, I scare you when I say that, right? Well, they were. They were the people of God, and now true believers are the people of God. So they were a type, but distinct and separate from the New Testament believers. So, I mean, we could go on and on about types from the Old Testament to the New Testament, because there, there, there are many of them. And we do believe in types. They would say we don't, but we do. Um, it's one of the myths that people propagate about our belief system. David, isn't that the, the crux of most of the confusion about Israel? Yeah. Is the fact that we just assume he means Israel as a nation when even in a type you can look at Israel as a nation where the whole world was not privileged right. to the things of God that Israel the nation was. And what God... Yeah. reveals to us is that I poured everything into them, and yet at various times there was only a remnant that believed. Right, a small that, remnant of that. That is a picture of, of the church. Yes, right? yes. The, the world becomes known with the gospel, right? Only a remnant. So in some cases it's a picture in a Petri dish right. called Israel. Right, right. And, and I mean... I don't think you can dispute that, that everyone who says I'm a Christian is not a Christian, or everyone who says I'm a Jew is not a Jew. Same thing, same meaning. 
And so it was a type of what goes on. But they would say we don't believe in types because, you know, we don't think the church is Israel. But <laughs> you, you see the, the complexity. Um, David, their favorite verse is Galatians 6.16. Yeah, it is. One of their favorite tech, proof texts. Yeah, I mean, that, that's sort of a signing quantum, but it's really not at all because you have to take it out of context. Yeah, and, then, and that I believe I see often... And, and I've read the some uh, not all of them clearly, but I've read a lot of the covenantal books, some of their what they would call their stalwarts, you know, their their, their best texts. And you just go, wait a minute, that's not what that means, because it's lifted out of context. And you know, context you you can't do that to scripture because it's uh, it, it fits together, right? It's a letter to somebody to communicate something. You can't pull out one sentence. You have to take it in context. So the overriding message is the hermeneutic really dictates how you read the Bible. And well, that issue really the, the, hermen- the hermeneutic and the priority. Right. The traditions. The- right. The fact that the New Testament can change what was said in the Old Testament. I believe this that the New Testament never changes what was said in the Old Testament, but it does often expand and give fuller meaning to what was written. But that's not what they would believe. If it's anything in the New Testament, it takes priority and changes what was written in the Old Testament. So, and then you you get just a couple of terms. Amillennial means no millennium, right? Uh, A being uh, a pronoun, or... Yeah, that negates what comes behind it. So amillennial view is that there is no thousand years reign, no literal thousand year reign. So anybody who's covenantal would also be called amillennial. But yet there are some of them, R.C. Sproul being one of their strongest, who's gone to be with the Lord, who believe that he was covenantal, he was amillennial, but believed there was still yet a future return of Jesus Christ, even though he had come in 70 A.D. And so I read his book, and I'm just confused. I mean, I'm just very confused. Because, I mean, he would stand up and say, I believe in the return of Jesus Christ, but I also believe that he came in 70 A.D. So there's not two Advents, there's three. I, I just I, I read his book, and he's just very, very confused. Yeah, but nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change when he comes. And then there are those who are post-millennial, okay, who believe there is a millennium, but it's not a thousand years. It's a long time. And a matter of fact, you're living in the millennium. Doesn't feel like it. And, and your job, your job is to preach the gospel so that more and more and more of the world will believe so that we can usher in, in an age of righteousness and spiritual purity and political calmness, all these things are included, usher in the reign of Jesus Christ. It's our job to get their earth ready. Over 2,000 years we've made no progress. Yeah, I don't, I don't want that job, okay? All right, but post-millennialism took a big hit in the 20th century. Why? 
World War One, World War Two. Is it really getting better? Probably not. So they took a big hit that belief did. But yet today, there are still people who are post-millennial. Don't understand that at all. I don't, you know, I, I calculate it. My guess at how much of the 7 billion people on the planet are true believers. And I put it well under 5%. And maybe more like 2%. And so we got 98% more to change. I just, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And so what is, what God says is his responsibility and he will do, preach the gospel to all the nations. They believe we take that as our own. But clearly Revelation says that the gospel is preached to all nations, not by people, but by the angels in the midheavens who cry out, believe in God. And yet we take that as our own. Not all four missions, all four international missions, local missions. Absolutely, we should take the gospel to people. But ultimately, that's not our responsibility. Well, there again, you've got, you've got that occurring. You've got dead guys coming back to life for the whole world to see. And yeah. you still have the world shaking their fist at God. That's mm-hmm. the point. Well, those rocks that fall on those got people facing... You know, they're fist at God. Those aren't literal rocks. That's just an allegory mm-hmm. for spiritual deadness. Mm-hmm. That's the explanation. I mean, I've, that's where you wind up when you, if you take that hermeneutic and you take the priority of Scripture. You have to go there because the other pieces won't fit together. So we choose not to do that. And next time I'll, we, we are... As MacArthur eloquently says, we're leaky dispensationalists, meaning we hold the part of what dispensationalists believe, but we don't hold to all of it by any means. And I'll divide that for you next time. Okay, any final question? Any kind of comment? I think that gets its clarity when you look at the covenants yeah. and how parts of the covenants flow right on through right. what are called the dispensations. Other parts remain within that covenant and that audience that it was addressed to. That helps with the leaky yeah. understanding. Yeah, and we'll, we'll parse that out for you a little bit next time, and then we'll actually go look at some scripture and begin to march through. Because there's certain things, because of the covenantal beliefs and because of what we hold to, that I want to show you from scripture so we can get the right framework. Okay? And what you said makes a lot of sense to one of R.C. Sproul's famous where he said, what's wrong with you people? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> R.C. Sproul was a true believer. Had oh, yeah. many things right, but some things not right. He was very smart. He's a, uh, a real apologist. Yeah. But his problem was, he was raised Presbyterian. <laughs> 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 he started with preconceptions. Yeah, I mean, I, I heard him talk about pedo-baptism. Made no sense whatsoever. But yet he... Continue, he admitted it's not in Scripture and then continued to talk about it. Where when you admit something's not in Scripture, you ought to hush. <laughs> Thanks for your time.